Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, so today is the last day of our series that we started. It's a very short series. And um, I was thinking about it. one of the things that I try to keep in tune with is, as a pastor is kind of what's happening um, culturally as far as religion and spirituality and things like that go. And for a long time, uh, people have been saying that the West and in America, we're becoming more and more secular and less religious. And so we've been watching those trends for a while. And, and I have really good news. It's not true. Here's how we know it's not true, is last week I probably went to the most, I would say the most religious experience I've had in a long time, is there were people there who gathered by the thousands and they worshiped passionately. Like these people, I can't, I don't think I've ever experienced anything like it. They were so full with joy that there was grown men brought to tears. They were hugging one another, even people that they didn't know. They were so invested in this that they spent all of their time and money just to, just, to, just to worship. Yeah, it was quite an experience. I've never seen people so zealous and devoted. It was my first NFL game that I've ever been to before. <laughs> yeah, 49ers versus the Rams. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was there. I, I, I got to go there, and um, my first time, my son's really into football, and so that was like his Christmas present, so we all went, and... and uh, it was quite an experience, because if you don't know, it's at SoFi Stadium, and there are over 70,000 seats there. And I looked around, and all of them were full. Yeah, yeah a lot of them, which um, is it's exciting, and it's fun being there. But I got to be honest, I was a little bit frustrated and kind of angry, because I directly, I drove directly from service, where on average, our church and churches in this area, about 50% of the people have shown up since covid and then I went to a stadium where there were 70,000 people crammed in together. And I went, I feel like our priorities might be off a little bit here. <laughs> like you read those Old Testament stories and you kind of think, oh, those are silly stories. Like, for example, Moses. I'm no Moses, but I felt a little bit like Moses last week. You know, he comes down from the mountain and he's coming to deliver this message from God and he sees the people and what are they doing? They're worshiping a golden calf. And I go, we're just worshiping a pigskin. It's not a whole lot different, you know? We kind of have reverted back to that a little bit. And so I won't pick on football too much today, but I did learn a couple things. Is um, I've learned that in these games, there is a difference between a fan and a fanatic. Now, I've made up these, this terminology, so don't go look it up. But uh, in, in my understanding, a fan is somebody who is there, is engaged, enjoys the game, is cheering. I was a fan. I was having a great time. Woo, this is awesome. And then there are the fanatics. The fanatics are much different than the fans because as a fan, I, you know, I had a team that I would probably prefer wins because really because my son cared and so I was rooting for the team he was rooting for. But as we finished up the game and we walked out and it was a great game, overtime, all this, it didn't affect my mood. I wasn't going to, I'm not going to be like, I can't sleep tonight, you guys. This is, it's over. <laughs> I mean, I guess I don't even know what to do with myself right now. No, I just thought, that was cool. How do we get out of here? <laughs> There's a lot of traffic. How do we get out? That was kind of my, that was my, that was my, uh, that was my attitude. But then there was other people. 
And I happened to be surrounded by all these other people because I didn't know that you could scream for three and a half hours straight, but you can. I think they had some liquid courage that went along with it, but I, you know, I don't know. And so they, <laughs> this is so funny, this image is, is in my mind, of these people behind me, and um, I, they happen to be 49ers fans, and the 49ers won. And these people, they were so excited, like I've never been as excited as they were in my entire life. I think back to like these life-changing moments of like when my kids were born and my wedding day and all this. I have never been tempted to walk outside, scream for joy, and hug a stranger just going, can you believe it? We did it. And I always think, we? Who's we? Did you, are you on the roster? Are they paying you to be here? I don't think so. In fact, I think you paid to be here. There is no we in this scenario right now. And so these people were, it was, like a, it was like a spiritual experience for them. This was a sacred day. I've never seen people worship like that before. These people are fanatics. They know everything there is to know about the team, about the players, about the history. I mean, they are, I, there's no other word to describe it except for these people were religious worshipers. And so I think that there is similarities there between people who um, claim to be Christians, and they think that, you know, you can fit into either camp and still be called a Christian. So some people go, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian because I'm a fan of Jesus. I like him. You know what? Christmas and Easter, I'm cheering. I'm there. If there's ever, ever time where I need something, I'm going to be there. If I ever hear about Jesus, it, yes, I affirm he's great. Way to go, Jesus. He just doesn't really affect my life all that much. And then there's the fanatics. And these are the people who are like sold out. Their whole life revolves around Jesus. They think about him. They pray. That all their relationships, their finances, their time, it all revolves around Jesus. They're kind of like the fanatics of Christianity. But is that true? Like are there different types of Christians in that way? Like you can be a fan or you can be a fanatic, but you can be anywhere in between. Well, that's kind of the question we've been asking throughout this series is, can you just be a Christian and simply like Jesus? Or are there other things that go along with it? Are there actions and behaviors and lifestyle and a worldview that also goes along with being a Christian? And so what we've tried to do is we've tried to really simplify this idea, like get down to the very basics. What is the core of being a Christian? What are the things that are like essential in Christianity? And so what we've done is we've gone through week by week and kind of picked out uh, a few things and boiled them down to simple sentences and phrases, even words, that we think are essential to being a Christian. Week number one we talked about a Christian is about believing and following, about believing and following. So when Jesus called people, he called them to follow him, to be disciples, and so what he says is, you can't just be a fan of me, because lots of fans of me, they see me do miracles, they hear my teaching, they think I'm great. No, 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 no. You can't just be a fan, you've got to be a follower. Week two, Doyle talked about a Christian as somebody who belongs to his family, to Jesus' family. When Jesus calls people to follow him, it's not just about following him, but it's also about becoming a member of this group. Initially, it was being a member of the disciples. Eventually, it turns into the church. And so a Christian is somebody who believes and follows and who belongs to the family. And then we're going to talk about the last thing today of what it means to be a Christian. So not long after Jesus calls the 12 disciples and he, uh, he brings them together and he does, uh, 
he, he kind of lets them observe his ministry for a while. So he goes and he does miracles and he does these teachings like the Sermon on the Mount. And he kind of talks about what it means to follow him and be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. And he, he walks them through kind of the, the introduction of who Jesus is. And then one day he calls them together and he goes, okay, you guys have been watching me for a little bit. You know what I'm about. Here's what you need to do next. Go and be like me in the world. And he sends them out. And so it's not just this, this one time that he does this. This is the first time he does this, but he does this uh, over again. In fact, the very last thing that Jesus says to his disciples after he dies and resurrects and he's about to ascend into heaven, he says, I need you to go out and I need you to tell people about me and my message. Here's what he says in Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So what he's doing here is he is giving us the what it means to be a Christian. This is kind of like the, the last step of being a Christian. Now, all of the steps have to be done at, at one time, but this is like the, the final one that we're going to talk about. This is the what. What it is to be a Christian is a person who is, who is sent. Now, Jesus doesn't give us a whole lot of details. He doesn't give us, like, the theology behind it and what is exactly does this look like. And so God calls this man named Paul. And Paul shows up, and he is going to tease out and fill in the blanks of Jesus' life and ministry and teaching. And so he's going to give us more of the how we're going to do this. And so here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. So he begins with this big statement, and he says, and if you're not familiar with the scriptures, he says, the old is gone. Now, you might be thinking, well, what was wrong with the old? What's wrong with the old creation? Like, especially when it comes to me, what's wrong with me? Uh, I mean, I'm a little rough around the edges. I, I'm getting a little older. I could use a nip and a tuck, but really, what's, what's wrong with the old me? And he says, no, 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 the old you has to, has to be gone, you can't just fix a couple things. In fact, um, if you think that the old you just needs a little uh, pick-me-up, you don't understand your problem. And so he goes on to explain what our problem is as humanity and all of creation. Here's what he says. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And here's what it is. Not counting people's sins against them. So what he's doing here is he's explaining the problem and the solution. He says, well, your, your real issue is this thing called sin. And if you're not a church person, you think of sin and you think of, I don't know, probably I'm doing things I'm not supposed to do. But that's not really what it is. I mean, that's a part of it, but that's more of a symptom of sin. See, we think of, okay, I did X, Y, and Z, and so those are things that God doesn't like, and so I'm a sinner, I guess, or at least according to the Bible, they say I am. I'm not really convinced. No. It's actually what's underneath that. What's underneath that is a rebellious attitude, a rebellious spirit. It is saying to God, although I was created in your image to be in a relationship with you, to worship you, to find my purpose and fulfillment in you, I have decided I want nothing to do with you. I've rejected you as my creator, as my king, and I've gone off and I will, I will live my own life without you. That's really what sin is. It's a rebellion against our creator. I saw a skit this last week, and um, you, you may be familiar. I saw it online. It's a Key and Peele uh, skit. You know, they're on Comedy Central. Anyway, um, and they had this one skit, and I thought this was genius. And I don't know if they, they knew what they were saying, but 
they were given good theology, is there's this, there's this scene in which they're sitting around a coffee table, and it's a small group. They all have their Bibles out, and they're praying. And I always get a little nervous when I see stuff like that. I go, ah, oh, here we go. You know, they're going to make fun of Christians again, but that's not what they did. So they're praying, and obviously somebody had a church background. I don't know if it was one of them or one of the writers, but they had a church background because they, they knew kind of what happens in some of those small groups. And so they're praying together, Lord, please come and meet us and use us. And they're using all the churchy words. And I'm like, okay, I want to see where this is going. And then they say, Lord, just, just show us. Show us who you are. Just show up here. And then all of a sudden this bright light shines in the room. And it's clearly the voice of God. And God goes, here I am. I will use you. The only thing that you have to do is sell all of your stuff and give it to the poor. Which, if you don't know it, that's in the Bible. Anyway. And so everybody pauses for a moment. They open up their eyes and they look at each other. And then one guy yells, this house is haunted. <laughs> get, get out of here. And then they all get out. And then the last line of it is uh, God going, ah, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. And they, I don't know if they knew what they were doing, but they were pretty much giving us a visual of this is what sin looks like is God gives us a command. He tells us, hey, here's what I want you to do. And then we go, but I don't want to do that. I want to do what I want to do. And so I rebel, I run, I flee. This is a perfect illustration of what sin is. It's saying, I want something more than I want God. Sin is what separates us from God. Ultimately, it becomes a barrier between our creator and ourselves. This is kind of how conflict works. Is If you've ever been in conflict with somebody... Uh, there seems to be this invisible barrier all of a sudden between you and them. Like if you're married, you know how this goes. Is you could be in the house, but it's cold in that house. You walk by and they may be right next to you, but they are a hundred miles away because there is this distance. There is a barrier between you two. Sometimes this barrier in our relationships becomes so great that there seems to be no way to, to reconcile. Like it's an irreconcilable relationship. I think the most obvious example of this is when a, a spouse is unfaithful. Is that pain is so great, the betrayal is so deep, that there just is no way to bridge that gap. That relationship is, is dead. That's exactly what the scripture says happens with us, is we have a holy and perfect God. And then we as his creation, we rebel against him. And the gap between us and him is so great that it's irreconcilable. There's nothing that we can do to make up. What we've done is we have rejected our king. Some people think, well, you know what? If I'm just a, just a good person, if I do more good than bad, then that will kind of make up the, the, the gap. That'll, that'll clear the air. That'll break down the barrier between me and God. And I kind of think, you know, here's how off you are in thinking that somehow you being more good than bad, whatever that means, uh, is going to resolve that issue. It's kind of like a cheating spouse who takes out the trash and goes, are we good now? Are we cool? Like, no, 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 I know I did all that stuff. And I know, uh, you know I, I understand, I totally admit it. But did you see me take out the trash today? Are we cool? No, we're not cool. That doesn't make up for all the things that you've done. And then you're continuing to do. I mean, no, there is a huge barrier between us. Well, that's what Paul says happens between us and God, is this sin, this rebellion has created this barrier between us and God. And so the only way to reconcile our relationship is to remove the barrier, to remove the sin that stands between us. And we can't do it. 
I can't remove the sin in the past of my life. Unfortunately, I continue to sin today and tomorrow, and I will for the rest of my life. Hopefully, I do less, and hopefully, I'm growing in my maturity, but it's still there. So what do you do? You can't fix it. I can't fix this. Paul says this is what Jesus came to do, is Jesus came to accomplish this on the cross, as he was going to remove the barrier of sin between us and God. Tim Keller explains it like this. He says, Jesus came and lived the life that we should have lived. He comes and lives a perfect life, not just morally perfect, but one that is fully submitted and aligned with his heavenly father. And by living that perfect life, he should have gotten a reward, praise and honor and glory. But instead, he trades places with us. He dies the death that we should have died because of our sin. He comes and he says, instead of getting what I deserve, I'm going to get what you deserve. Instead of you getting what you deserve, you're going to get what I deserve. I'm willingly going to trade places with you. And the result is that we can be reconciled with God. That we can be forgiven. We can receive eternal life. This is why the gospel is called the good news. Because it's not good advice. See, good advice is here's what you should do to be a better person. Here's what you should do to impress God. That's what all the other religions and philosophies in the world say. Here's some advice. Here's some steps that you should take. That's good advice. Good news is here's what's been done for you. It's not that you have to do anything. It's nothing that you have to accomplish. It's just news that this has happened on your behalf. That's the gospel. And then Paul, after he kind of lays out briefly this theology, he then turns his attention to Christians. And he says, now Christians, those of you who have received this gift of salvation, you have some responsibilities. And then he begins to lay out what those responsibilities are. He says this, and he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, in the Old Testament, we see that God communicated and he worked through the nation of Israel and prophets. And then in the New Testament, we see that God communicates and works through Jesus. Now that Jesus has ascended into heaven, what he's done is he's handed you the message and the ministry of communicating to the world on his behalf through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, we therefore are Christ's ambassadors. Some uh, translations here say representatives. I was thinking about, you know, this idea of being a representative ambassador and Last week I got invited, uh, last uh, Saturday I got invited to go with a friend of mine who um, is, he works for one of the, the major uh, sponsors, and he happens to be kind of like the, the direct guy who oversees all the Supercross teams. And I raced motocross going up, growing up, and so I love that, and so I, I try to attend some of the races. And so he invited me, he said, hey, why don't you go with me and I'll show you around. Well, <laughs> this is like full VIP access. I said, uh, yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> you know, like, what do you want me to wear? <laughs> no, um, and so... Uh, it's like, I will not show off my body. Like, okay, I will. Um, so I get there, and he starts giving me a, a tour of all the, the pits and all the teams, introducing me, all the riders and all the people. And then he goes up, and he takes me to the suite where all these other riders were that were, like, past champion. I mean, I am just like, this is amazing. You know, like, this is so crazy. I'm getting to experience all of this. And, uh, and as I'm watching this, and... I'm kind of seeing what's going on. I, I noticed a couple things. Actually, my son noticed this uh, last night because we were watching it on TV. He said, Dad, why are all the sponsors, all the logos, two brands, and both of them are energy drinks? That's a good observation. Why? You know, like, they're the main sponsors of not only this, but like all action sports. There's two major brands and they're drinks. What does that have to do with action sports? 
I mean, it's not like they're selling motorcycles or they're selling gear. No, why would they do that? They spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to get their logo, their brand, in these events and on these people. Why would they do that? Because here's what they understand. And, And brands spend millions and millions of dollars on this is they want to find people and events and lifestyles that they think best represent their brand. In fact, there's even a name for these people. They're called brand ambassadors. They get paid in order to wear and to rep these different brands to their communities. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, that's your job. As Christians, your job is you're going to be a brand ambassador for Christ. That you're going to go out into the world, and when people see you, they're going to see Jesus, he says that we therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. It's going to be through us that people see Jesus. The idea of being an ambassador uh, has some implications. First one is this, is an ambassador is somebody who lives in a foreign land. And so uh, if you're an ambassador, uh, traditionally you are somebody who was sent from your nation to uh, a foreign nation as its official representative. And so it means that we are people in a foreign land. If we are Christ followers, it means that our citizenship is not here first and primary. It's citizens of heaven. I think we get this mixed up a little bit. I don't want to say during election time, but it seems to happen quite a bit as we think we're Americans first. Oh, I don't think that's true. Is it says, no, 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 no. Don't get it confused. Make sure you know where your allegiance is. You are citizens of heaven first. Your job is not to come into this foreign land and change it. Now, if it does change because you're here, all the better. But an ambassador doesn't come in and go, now I'm going to change this country. I'm going to make it look exactly like the country I came from. If it happens, that's awesome. No, no, no. Their primary responsibility is to come into that nation and say, here is the message. Here is what I've been sent to tell you. Here is what it looks like to be a citizen in the kingdom that I come from. I think we got to keep that at the forefront of our minds. We even talked about that all fall. We went through a series um, called Live Differently. And we wrestled with what does it look like to be a Christian within today's culture? And we had different uh, options, and, you know, we kind of wrestled with those. Maybe it's with total withdrawal, and we say, you know what, we're just going to stay away because it's toxic. But then we said, well, no, because we're people who are sent as ambassadors, so we can't fully you know, uh, uh, pull back. Or maybe we're supposed to just embrace culture and all of it. But the problem with that is we sometimes become consumed within that culture. So what does it look like? Well, the place that we landed in the series was we want to be a faithful presence within. Meaning we want to be in that culture and we want to be representing our king well, but we don't want to be consumed by it. Is we're in it, but not of it. I think that's what we have to remember as ambassadors is we're sent into a foreign land to represent our king well. Second thing is this, is that when people see you, they see Jesus. So just like when you think of certain brands, there are certain people that come to your mind, or at least certain types of people, um, that is true, especially in today's culture. Because the honest truth is, within today's culture, especially here on the West Coast and, you know, in L.A., Orange County, is people are not just flooding into church. They're not just showing up. There were certain times, and there are still certain places in America in which you're just expected to go to church. It's what, you know, people do. That's not happening here. Is nobody is going to just go, you know, it's a Sunday morning. I'm up early. My kids are ready. Let's just go to church, you guys. (laughs) 
no, that's not going to happen. And nobody's opening up the Bible and going, I need to learn about this Jesus fellow. What is his deal? No, nobody's doing that either. The only way that people are going to hear about Jesus is through you. And the primary way they're going to hear about it is by looking at you. Because you represent Jesus to them. In fact, the way that people understand Jesus and the way that they think about them is going to probably be the way that they think about you. So here's a quick thought experiment, just to see how people view Jesus as they look at you. Imagine that we took your Instagram and Facebook, and instead of your face and your name, we replaced it with Jesus' face and Jesus' name. What would they know about Jesus? Ugh. So you guys are thinking through your pictures. Actually, I've taken some pictures of you guys. No, I haven't done that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that would be funny, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be good. Some of you guys are, ah! <laughs> oh, you got so scared. Um, you're like, oh, Jesus in a crop top? Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> He's popping bottles. <laughs> like, I don't think Jesus uses that kind of language. Anyway, I think that's just an easy way for us to see, well, because, look, we always want to think, like, okay, well, I gave that homeless guy money one time. Jesus would do that, and I, I did that. So we're good. No? Okay. This is a really easy way. Here's what people see Jesus look like when they look at you. Real simple. I want to just pick on you guys. Um, us pastors, we're just as guilty as anybody else, probably more so oftentimes, is um, we have said, okay, we're kind of be like, and I don't, this isn't really a thing, but like we're professional representatives of Jesus. <laughs> you know, like here I am, here's what Jesus says, and I said it, and so you got to do it, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's this one Instagram account called Preachers and Sneakers, and if you haven't seen it, <laughs> oh man, it's, it's a good time. Because uh, if you're not laughing, you're crying. And so there's these pictures of all these pastors, and um, it shows their outfit, and then next to it, it shows the price of what they're wearing, specifically their shoes. Oh my goodness. Many of their outfits cost more than my car. Is, and you look at this, and there's just all these comments, all these comments about like, I knew it, they're just in it for the money, and they're blah, 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 kind of this, and I just go, what are we doing? What are we doing right now? Why are we doing this? Is it because Jesus was known for his fashion sense and wealth? Is that why? No, no. Why, why are we representing him like this? Because we, we want to represent him well. All right, finishes with this. He says this. He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You can almost hear the emotion behind what Paul is writing here. He uses this word implore. Implore means to beg, to urge, to plead somebody. He says, we have to go out there and we have to implore, we have to beg people, please be reconciled to God. Which almost sounds a little bit strange, doesn't it? That we have to beg people to be reconciled to God. Like we have to urge them, like this is what, you're going to receive eternal life. You can be forgiven. You can know this God. You can find hope. You can, we have to urge them. Why? Because this is supposed to be really good news. But most people don't see it as good news. The reason why they don't see it as good news, whether they can admit it or not, is because when they receive this as good news, it means that they have to let go of the control of their life. That they have to admit that they are so broken and such a mess that they cannot fix themselves. And that is the thing that we clinch onto as humans. Control. We want to be in charge. That's ultimately at the bottom of everything that we do. It's I want to be in control of my life. I don't want to be told what to do. 
And to admit that we need a Savior is to let go of that and say, it's all yours. We just came out of the Christmas season. I want you just to imagine that you've got some Christmas gifts, and as you're opening those gifts, you see that you've gotten a couple books as presents. Maybe they're from your spouse or your best friend or somebody that you love. And, and you open up the first book, and it is a dieting book. Hmm. Okay. I know. I, okay, I got you. All right. And then you open up the second book, and it says, A Guide to How to Be Less Selfish. You go, okay. <laughs> okay. I see where this is going. Now, what do you do? Do you accept the gift and go, <laughs> thank you so much. I was hoping for this this Christmas. This is great. Uh, this is in my Amazon account. I was, I was saving it. Um, or do you reject it and go, I don't need this. Because if you accept it, what you're saying is, you're right. I am fat and obnoxious and need help. See, that's why people don't find the good news of Jesus all that good, because what they're saying is, I'm fat and obnoxious and need help on a spiritual level. And so that's why Paul says we have to implore people. It's not just, hey, man, you should think about Jesus. Hey, bro, you should. No, please, please just listen to this message of reconciliation. Just at least think about it. Consider it. I mean, this could be the most important thing in all of humanity. You should at least wrestle with it a little bit. Or at least come and see what I do and what my life is about and how it's changed me. I implore you to be reconciled to God. The series is all about simplicity. Boiling things down to its very core. And so I really wrestled with this passage this week because there's so much in it. There's so many concepts, so many key words. We have things like new creation, the ministry and message of reconciliation. We're ambassadors. I thought, how do I boil all that down to like one simple phrase or sentence? So I wrestled with it and wrestled with it and wrestled with it. And so week one, as a reminder, a Christian believes and follows Jesus. Week two, a Christian belongs to his family, the church. And then week three, a Christian brings the good news, the gospel to the world. Which, by the way, took me forever to think of a word that started with B so that they would all, because it doesn't count if it doesn't, anyway. Okay. (laughs) A Christian is somebody who brings the good news to the world. This happens in a couple different ways. This happens through the way that we live that we are bringing the good news of how Jesus has reconciled us to our creator through the way that we live, but also through the message. And so I was thinking, how do we, uh, how should we end this series? Oh, by the way, one, one quick quote. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was thinking about that good news and bringing the good news, I remembered a conference that I went to. Uh, it was probably 10 or 15 years ago now. And it was before he passed away, a man named Dallas Willard, who's a well-known theologian, and uh, he was a philosophy professor at USC, and just a super smart guy. He came up and he said just one sentence that I have remembered ever since. He said this. He said, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. What he's saying here is the gift of salvation This gift of reconciliation between us and our creator, there's nothing that you can do to earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't be religious enough. It's simply a gift that has been provided for you by Jesus' death on the cross. However, that doesn't mean that there isn't effort involved in accepting and living this gift out. So at the beginning of the series, we started with a question. 
And the question came from a New York Times series in which the uh, writer went to a bunch of different famous Christian leaders and asked them, am I a Christian? And they all came up with different answers to if he was a Christian or not. And so we said, well, what would we say? What would be the simple questions that we would ask? And these are the three questions that we would ask. Is, well, do you believe? Do you belong? And are you bringing the good news? And so I think that's a question that we probably should ask ourselves, no matter where we are in this faith journey, is, well, do I believe and follow? Do I belong to his family? And am I bringing the good news? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this church and um, just for the people who are so faithful in it. Um, they're here and engaged and ready to worship and learn. And so as a church family, uh, we just come to your throne room and we just say, use us, Lord. Use us. Let us be people who bring the good news to the community around us. That we be people who live in such a way that others take notice and they want to know more because there is something different about our lives and we get the opportunity to tell them it's because we have been reconciled with our creator. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that you would give us opportunities, that you would help us to be strong and brave in stepping forward in those opportunities to share the good news. So, Lord, we thank you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, will you guys stand with me? Thank you guys so much for being here this weekend. Um, I think there's going to be some pamphlets out there you can grab for the fast. Other than that, we will see you next week. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.